ditches, pulling weeds, you know, whatever they need to get done, uh, we do that. And, um, you know, they asked, hey, do you have any specific skills or anything like that? And I said, well, I, you know, I listed all these kind of different areas that I had some uh, knowledge of. And, and, and uh, you know, one of those things was uh, automotive, electrical, and, and, and uh, you know, all that stuff. So, so they have a, actually have a mechanic shop and a body shop on site. And it's amazing because I'm not totally sure, but it kind of seemed like, I mean, when I was there, people were just driving up their cars from the community and like, yeah, this doesn't work, something like, okay, all right, I'll see you later. You know, I was like, what? Like, you know, so I was, man, that's, that's amazing. They have a guy full-time there just fixing cars. And uh, the head of the shop, uh, his name was Angel, and he was telling me, uh, you know, he only spoke Spanish, and I don't speak much. Uh, but from what I gathered, you know, he was sharing with me how, um, you know, he couldn't cross the border. And, yeah, there's more opportunities, even other places, as a mechanic. But 15 years ago, he was called to this place. He accepted Christ 30 years ago. And, you know, he was saying, yeah, you know, there's all these different things I could have done or made more money or, you know, whatever. But being there, he gets to be a part of, you know, what God's doing. He sees what's being done in the lives of the children. And he was just sharing with me, you know, he was like tearing up, like, you know, that's why I'm here. You know, all, there's always lots of work, always things to be done, but that's why he's there. And when he heard, you know, I was referred to him, hey, I said, anywhere you can help me, I can help you out. You know, he said, oh, you're elect electrical, electrical. And he said, fix the lawnmower. <laughs> I was like, I don't know anything <laughs> about lawnmower. It's like one of those big lawnmowers you ride on, you know, and they're changing out the ignition switch on there, and it was a different part. And I was like, oh, man, I have all this pressure. I'm like, I don't want to blow up their lawnmower or something, you know. <laughs> and this is Mexico, so, it, you know, I, what I'm used to is, like, safety, everything safety first, and, and we're testing out a part, and he just, ah, just gets a wire. He's, like, tapping. It's like, psh, psh. He's like, oh, that's the one. Psh, psh. So I, <laughs> I was like, God, don't let me die, please, you know. But, but they had me working on lawnmowers, and they sent me to the, they have these buses to take the school, uh, children to school, and they said, the light's not working tell me what's wrong. I was like, I don't know what's wrong. But, you know, I, 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 I baked in there for a while and, and uh, did my best. And so I hope in some way I was a little bit helpful. Uh, you know, and, and we got to partner. And uh, in the afternoon, we got to go way down south uh, to a, um, it's almost seemed like kind of like government housing kind of place, but it was actually company housing where, you know, there, there's tons of agriculture down there. And so they had this, uh, you know, kind of uh, this complex, and, uh, and and in that place, you know, there's all these these rooms, and and the little kids, I mean, little kids, like I don't know, got to be eight years and younger, you know, they're all there by themselves during the day. They're just running around. They got keys around their necks for their place, and they're just taking care of themselves. And uh, it was really uh, a blessing to see. Uh, the mission workers uh, preaching the gospel, sharing through like stories, kind of throwing these different laminated sheets and 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 then playing games. We played the games with the kids and then the kids stuck around and they lined up. And, you know, um, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to hand out ice cream. We're going to hand out some candy or something. But no, what is it that they get? They get half a glass of milk and one spoonful of peanut butter. And they just love that 
And it was really moving to me because I said, whoa, milk and peanut butter. You know, but just a smile on their face. And they, when they lined up and got their spoon, they brought their cup and they brought their own spoon. And when they got that, that scoop, then, you know, they were just sitting there and just having the time of their lives. And, and it really, really, uh, you know, just reminded me of, you know, how blessed we are and how little it takes to bless someone else. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a, a great time. I appreciate those of you that, um, you know, were praying for us. As uh, we mentioned last week, all, all the pastors were gone in different parts of, of the world, and uh, we're all back safe. So uh, let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you this morning. Uh, it's, uh, it's humbling to think how much you have truly blessed us, and um, and with that, you've really called us to be uh, stewards of what you've given us, and uh, you've enabled us uh, in a mighty way to, to impact those around us. Lord, today as we get into this uh, exciting chapter of the book of Esther, and we talk about, um, you know, what it takes uh, to, to find freedom, and, and as we, we look at how Esther really had to find courage. She had to find courage and able to, to seek freedom for herself and for her people. That you met her. That you came behind her. That you were her strength and you made a way for her. And we'll see today how, how you just have a, a wonderful and just amazing plan. And then all you're doing is you're calling us to, to join into that. And, and uh, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We say, Holy Spirit, please come and minister to our hearts. Testify to us who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are continuing. We're getting to the end of this, uh, this uh, amazing uh, story, this uh, this. Uh, I don't want to say novella, but it is uh, it is action packed. I mean, it is like, man, this this book is, is it's it's really really full of amazing t- twists and turns, right? Uh, but just as a recap, in case you're just joining us, uh, the Book of Esther. It's one of two books in the Bible that has no mention of God. Esther was not known for her strength, although we find that she is strong. She's not known for her speaking ability, leadership, or intellect. Although today we find that she is actually very clever. No, Esther is primarily known for her physical beauty and perhaps her pleasant personality. She's known as a beautiful woman, obedient, respectful, and she comes into a place of power based upon the king's desire for her. Although this is not something we might think of when we think of great heroes of the Bible, right? we find that this is the beauty of our God that he can use anyone with a willing heart to accomplish his purpose in life. And we know that his mission is to bring freedom, to free people from the fate of sin and to deliver them into a life of love and relationship with the one who is love, Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Esther, although God is never mentioned, we see the strong ways that God is working in her life. We see the way that he works all things to bring about his freedom, even when circumstances look like there's no way out. So there's lots of little details. Uh, We're not going to go through everything. We're going to just touch up on some of them, so you can go ahead and and read through that this week uh, in detail. But again, to catch you up, we found there was this evil villain 
Haman. I told you he was like the Jafar of the kingdom. He was number two in command. He really, really had no end kind of to his power. Uh, because remember, he was given the king's signet ring, which is like he has the authority of the king. So he can make those decisions. Wherever he goes, he speaks for the king. And because of that, people bowed to him. They worshiped him just like he was the king because uh, he carried that power. But let's look at some of the ways that we see God working. We had Mordecai. He's a minor court official. He has adopted his beautiful niece, Esther, when her parents passed away. He was in a position to have her presented as a candidate for the queen. Vashti, the queen, refused to appear at King Xerxes' command, causing her to be deposed of or gotten rid of. Haggai, the eunuch in charge of Xerxes' harem, took a liking to Esther and helped her to win the king's approval. Now, Mordecai uncovered a plot against Xerxes. There was a, a threat on his life, and through Esther, he passed on this word, and he saved the king's life. But the king overlooked, or he never got around to rewarding Mordecai for this act. Now, Haman, he plots to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. He consults his diviners or his kind of fortune-telling people, and they figure out, they say that 12 months later is the ideal time to kill them. Now, this actually gives them time, gives uh, Esther and, and Mordecai time to, to find a way to defeat Haman's plan, right? Mordecai, he urges Esther to act. When they find out, you know, all this is gone, he urges Esther to act, calling her to realize that she might have come to royal position for such a time as this. Let's be really clear, because Xerxes, the king, he is all-powerful in this time period. He signs off. He, he agreed to the annihilation of the Jews, and he also cannot take back that that law he's already passed it it's 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 there he can't take back it uh, but and so at this time we find that the jews are facing certain doom right and like we mentioned mordecai he moves esther he says hey you got to do something and uh, that's where I, you know i want to just touch in in chapter five this is that moment when remind you then esther she really is putting her life on the line right and on the third day, she put on her royal robes. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So they were drinking wine after the feast. The king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. 
that bring us to last week. Pastor Toby got into chapter 6. And remember, he had the videos of uh, all these sports kind of failures where these guys thought they had triumphed and, and they thought, man, I, I stopped the goal. And, and they were so full of themselves, like, yeah, I did it. I stopped the goal. And the, the ball had the backspin and it came back into the net. Uh, so celebrating too early, right? And uh, in, in, in chapter 6, we saw that, that um, you know, nothing was done for Mordecai. We found that, that Haman is, is uh, you know, he comes before the king and the king says, what should I do for someone that I haven't, you know, rewarded? That is just this, this amazing guy. And Haman thinks he's talking about himself. So he says, oh, you should put a robe on him. You should put him on a donkey, you know, take him through, you know, do all this stuff. And then the king says, oh, that's a great idea. Make sure that's done for Mordecai, right? And so Haman, who was so full, he was like, man, I, I have it all. And he saw that turned around, right? Now today we get into Esther 7, and you can, you can follow with me there. And Esther 7, this is really like that, that um, what's it called, that climax of the story. This is where everything just begins to shift, and begins to turn. So Esther 7, it says, So the king and Haman went to Esther's, uh, Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, Grant me my life, this is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Remember in Esther 3, the price was 10,000 talents. Uh, Haman was saying, hey, we can, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that these guys are taken out. They're no good for the kingdom. They, they have no benefit for us. They don't worship you. They don't acknowledge you should get rid of them. So 10,000 talents. She continues and says, If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. She shows the utmost of respect, as opposed to her predecessor, Queen Vashti. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. And Esther says, an adversary and an enemy, the vile Haman. Now, it's interesting because she says an adversary and an enemy, right? We talked about sports last week. We saw those things. And sometimes we have opponents, right? We have people that we go against for a time, like, like in a game on the opposite team. But when she says an adversary and an enemy, she's saying not only is he against us, but we're permanently opposed. Then Haman was terrified between, before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage and left his wine and went out into the palace garden. So he just, what? And he gets up and leaves. Right. Sometimes that's like when you know you're really in trouble, right? When the person won't even talk to you, they're just like, I can't. And they just leave. You're like, oh, no, <laughs> something's coming, right? We don't know why he leave. Uh, maybe to blow off some steam. 
but he doesn't really need to because uh, whatever he says, that becomes the law, right? Some people think that maybe um, he went to go think of, you know, how can he take care of Haman? How can he deal with this guy? How should he kill him? Um, some people think that, that, you know, maybe it was to kind of hide his failure because he was the one that allowed this kind of mess to, to, to happen by, you know, agreeing to Haman's, uh, you know, idea of, hey, let's annihilate the Jews. So, you know, you notice he doesn't, he doesn't at that moment say, oh, let me call in my advisors. Where's all my advisors and what should I do next? What should I do with Haman? You know, he is like, you know, I'm going to handle this on my own. But Haman realized the king would probably kill him, right? He stays behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And you guys can all picture this. I mean, this is like that, that scene in the movie playing out because just as the king returns, Haman is begging Esther, and Esther is reclining on this, this chair or couch. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, at that moment, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. So maybe he was begging her, begging her, and he just kind of goes a little too much and falls over. But this perfect timing happens, right? And Haman, is on, he kind of falls on top of Esther when the king comes back. And some things ab- about, you know, we know that Esther and the king, uh, you know, and, and there, there's others that are in the harem, right? And... It's a little bit different because we think, uh, you know, maybe the conception is, or misconception is that the harem is just this this place where, you know, all the king's women are kept and it, it's uh, just his private kind of pleasure area, whatever. But it was actually a respected place because many of the women there, we know that marriages happen to form alliances between countries. You know, there's a, a lot of different reasons why the marriages happen, but the harem is a place that is respected, and if there was any contact with anybody in the king's harem, it's punishable by death. Uh, in some sense, it's kind of a direct message that if someone is interacting with someone in the king's harem, it's like they're saying, you know what, I consider myself like the king. Uh, we saw this uh, you know, in the case of, of David's son Absalom. And Absalom publicly takes 10 of the king's concubines and he makes a public statement that he considers himself the new king. Right? And of course, the king expla- exclaims, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? And as soon as that word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Some of your translations mention gallows uh, that Haman was to be hung on. The Hebrew word there used uh, translates uh, just as tree or wood. Uh, But we we write that as gallows or um, as a pole. we don't know for sure, but generally the custom at the time was to first execute the person and then to put them up like on, on this pole. And uh, we see that that's what happens to Haman's sons later on. Uh, he has these many sons that he was bragging about, right? 
Uh, they all get executed first and then put up on, on the poles for everyone to see as a warning against those that come up against the Jews. Um, whatever the case, the king you know, orders that Haman is impaled on it. He says, NIV says, the king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. When Esther accused Haman at her banquet, I mean, she had been building herself up, I think, to this moment where we have Haman in the room. We have the king in the room. It's this private banquet. And has Esther comes to this moment where she literally is confronting Haman, this guy that has so much hate that he wants to carry out, you know, like genocide on, on the Jews, that he wants to totally annihilate all of them. And he's gone so far as to kind of move the king to sign off. And so there's, you know, all these things in place. And this is the person that Esther has to confront in person, right? That must have taken a lot for her. She passed that first part where we knew that, you know, just coming in front of the king, if he didn't say, oh, okay, hey, Esther, you're okay. You can pass kind of thing, that she would have been killed right there. Because nobody just barges in on the king. She passes that part, and now the king is saying, what is your request? What is your petition? What, do you, what are you asking for? I'll give you what you're asking for, up to half the kingdom. And with Haman there, she confronts him and says, hey, this is the guy that's trying to kill us. When she does that, I think that it's interesting that not only is, is do I feel like God is with her in that she's successful, that the king is, of course, moved, that someone is going to come a- against his wife, his queen, and her people. But then even, you know, the people that are around there, right? Harbona, one of the, the king's trusted guys, you know, he says, oh, y- you know what? There's a pole that, that Haman set up for Mordecai. Why don't we use that? And Mordecai, remember, Mordecai is the one that, that he... He spoke up to save you. He spoke up to save your life. Right? Sometimes, uh, you know, when we talked about freedom, when I mentioned we'll talk about freedom, about salvation, about being, you know, uh, being set free from our sin. Uh, Esther found herself in a situation where her people were set to be annihilated. She stood up against Haman, against this, this evil man, and we see how, how God is faithful, how the king, she gets a favorable um, kind of response from the king. And later on, you know, next week, we'll, or the next couple weeks, we'll see how, how God really intervenes and, and saves them. Uh, but Esther, I, you know, we know it took her a lot of courage to get to that point. And that when she stood up, then I believe it's kind of like the, the king's eunuch right away, he stands up too. That sometimes we see that when we make a stand, that you know not only is God with us, but others join in, right? But she had to make that first move. She had to take that stand. So sometimes for us to find that freedom, we need to say it. You know, maybe we need to confess, hey, this is something that I'm wrestling with. This is something that, you know what? When we see each other and we say, hey, Gary, how's it going? Oh, it's good. You know, it's all right. You know, Gary, I know Gary enough that he'll tell me, like, oh, man, this week was rough. 
right? But sometimes I think it's just easier to just say, ah, oh, everything's good. It's all good, right? So sometimes we got to be real. We got to say, you know what? I'm having a hard time. It takes courage to begin to move towards freedom. But when we take those steps, then we find that, that God is good and that I believe the community of God is also there to, to help us, to surround us, and to move us towards that. Now, Mordecai, I mean, not Mordecai, Haman, he also gives us an interesting picture. Because I myself have, have been in, in, a situ- in situations, and I, I know many of you have as well, where we can actually be like Haman, where something can bother us, where we can allow, like Haman, he had the sin of pride, right? That he had everything. He had everything. He had money. He had family. Uh, he had power. He had all these things that people would have wanted, that people still seek today, and yet he was not happy. Why? Because he felt that his, uh, you know, he was being disrespected by Mordecai. And so that little sin, that, that little bit of, of pride, it, it welled up. You know, and I believe that that sin, it holds him captive. It really continues to, to bind him and to drag him on. And maybe you've been there. I've been there where you let a little bit of sin into your life, and you say, ah, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You begin to rationalize. You say, ah, no, nah, it's not a big deal. And then the thing about sin is that you convince yourself that it's not sin. No, it's just the way it is. That's just how things go. That's just normal. That's whatever. And we find ourselves going further and further and further along the path. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place like Haman finds himself out. Where he is confronted. He's exposed. His his sin is brought out into light. and, And now he has to deal with the consequences. And that's really, I think, a, a picture of, of what happens to us when we allow sin into our lives and, and to really grab a hold of us. Because it's not easy to, to escape that. If we call upon the Lord in both of those situations, you know, maybe we're, we need to, um, you know, we need to, to step up and, and to really to make changes in our lives. Or maybe we need to stand up. Maybe it's in the workplace. Uh, you know, maybe it's within our families. Maybe we need to take a stand against injustice. Whatever the case, it takes courage to begin to, to move, you know, towards freedom from that. And I think a lot of times we find that, that we really we can't do it on our own. This morning, as I was driving to church, um, you know, I, I was, um, uh, I would have been a sight to see if you pulled up next to me. I was just uh, bawling my eyes out because God was just speaking to me. Uh, he was really speaking to me, kind of convicting me of some things in, in my life. And, um, you know, I was just bawling my eyes out, and, and literally, as I'm, I'm on the freeway, you know, I was just uh, yelling out to God, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, God, it's hard. You know, I, I, I want to follow you 100% in everything I do, but it's hard. It's hard. 
you know, and I just felt him really um, coming beside me and, and really uh, just comfort me. And, and just like I pictured my son or my daughter when, you know, they are just kind of crying out like, man, it's hard. I can't do it. It's hard. I, I, I want to follow you, but it's just so hard sometimes. And I just felt him saying, remember, I told you that my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And in that moment, I was just reminded that it's always hard when we try to do things on our own. It's always hard. In fact, it's impossible. Maybe you, f- you think of a situation in your life today where you feel like you're crying out to God, you know what, it's hard. It's just hard, God. Remember his words that he invites us, he invites us to find rest in him. He invites us to find rest and refreshing in him. That is true. It's hard. It's impossible without him. But if we come to him, we find that he's the one that lifts us up. We find that he's the one that he doesn't necessarily just, hey, make everything disappear, that our problems are gone. But he helps us carry that load. And he brings us through that. Now, many of you guys have have seen this before. Uh, I want to show a video clip and... uh, if you've been with me for any time, you've probably seen this clip already. But uh, I think it's really a picture of what happens to us when we face these times in our life. And uh, just like Esther found herself in, you know, and we're called to, you know what? I can't run anymore. I got to take a stand. Uh, and, and we find that, you know what, God, and I believe that God and the community, the family, People of Christ are there with us. So let's uh, let's get the lights and we can roll this. And if you're a little squeamish, it, this is not real, but but you know, just you know.
So I think you can see that that God's timing is is perfect. That you know, I really th- I feel like there's been so many times in my life where it looks like, man, there's no way out. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and yet He's called us to to come to a place where where you know He's given us all that we need. He's given us the tools that we need. He's given us his word. He's given us community in his body. And I, I really believe that that's what we see in Esther. And that's what we find for ourselves. That I find for myself is that when we come to that place where we're saying, you know what? I can't run anymore. I can't run anymore. I need to face this. That something happens in ourselves. You saw as that, that little bear, you know, even though he's, getting, he's losing that battle, Something wells up inside of him when his demeanor kind of changes and he begins to yell out, yell out his pathetic little roar. And, uh, uh, you know, he's taking a stand, right? And in that moment, we see Papa Bear's behind him and, uh, and really kind of comes to the rescue. Yeah, I think that, that God, he gives so many things out of his grace and mercy, but oftentimes he calls us to step out. He calls us to move into that place of freedom. And it takes real courage to surrender control of our lives and to follow after Jesus, to live by faith like Esther did. But if we do, we find freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 2 Corinthians 3.12-18 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing by, but their minds were made dull. For this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It takes courage to bring freedom to others. God has called you to do amazing things, to share His love with others, to show them that there is freedom in Christ because He died, we can live. Where has God placed you today? He may have put you in a place that you consider is ordinary, boring, uneventful, but he may have placed you in that situation so you could do something extraordinary through your natural gifting. How is God calling you to bring freedom today? Your weekly challenge is, uh, you know, to know, is to read Esther 1 through 7. Um, you know, go through it, you know. And I always encourage you before you read to, to pray, you know, God, you know, speak to me through your word. Um, show me something new that I didn't see before. And then grow. Pray about how God is calling you to experience freedom today. Maybe it's, you know, it's something in yourself that you need to surrender to the Lord. Maybe there's injustice that, that you see that you need to stand up against. 
an overflow. Is there a situation in your life that you feel God is calling you to take a stand? Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's against someone wrong in the world. Pray how you can take a stand this week. So, so really, it's to read the word. Let it soak into you. Think about that. Pray about God. How does this apply to me? And when you see, you know, hey, what can I do, Lord? Then take action. Take action. Okay. Let's pray. And worship team, you can you come back up here. Lord, it's our prayer that, that you would draw us to yourself. In this moment, we say, draw us to you, Lord. Make us aware, not so much of what I've given to others, but how much I've received. How much you've given me that I can share. Lord, I pray that you would send us forth, that you would send us out in power and gladness with great courage to live in this world. That as we live in this world, we may do justice. We might make peace. We may grow in love, enjoy ourselves, other people, And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.